You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Good morning, Redeemer. My name is Keenan Harris. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Um, and before we get into that passage that was just read, obviously this is a, a really uh, significant week uh, this week that you had this week on Friday. Um, you had Roe v. Wade um, and Casey versus Planned Parenthood overturned. And I think it's right for us to pause and just to think on a few things and want to make sure we think about this rightly. That first of all, I think it's appropriate for us to celebrate this decision. That we believe, we're called to be a people, that when you read Matthew 6, we're called to be a people that when Jesus teaches us how to pray, we should pray for God's kingdom to, be, to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we should be a people that long and desire to see his kingdom come and his will to be done. And so we believe that all of life, from conception through death, all of life are made in the image of God, are valued by God, and have inherent worth. And so we should protect the lives of children. And so we see this as a decision that we believe that God is a God of justice. And so we should be a people that celebrate when we see things like policies come into play that seem to align with his desires and what he wants. And that this is a major step in protecting the vulnerable. And so we should be a people that celebrate that. Along the same lines, secondly, we should, we should have been doing this um, and we should, we should recognize that there's still so much more work to be done. That this decision, if it didn't already before, it should cause us to want to be a people that care for women and their families, that want to be a safe place for people, for women who find themselves in a situation with an unplanned, unwanted pregnancy. That we should be a people that we advocate for and care for children in foster care and adoption agencies. That this should push us to serve, to foster and support foster families. That maybe a step for you is to become a foster family or a baby step is be respite certified to care for foster families, to help foster families who are doing that. That we should give financially, that we should be a compassionate listening ear that we partner with incredible organizations and agencies here in Lubbock who are doing these things, and we'd love to connect you, to help you take that step to, to value and care for all of life. But it should also cause us to pray, to pray for God to continue to protect, for God to use us to care for the vulnerable, to pray for those who find themselves in a scary enough situation where abortion feels like their only option. And listen, I think it needs to be said that if you're in here um, and you've had an abortion and you carry that guilt, you carry that shame, you carry that weight, what I want you to hear me say um, is that the grace of God and the forgiveness of God is offered to you and that you truly are wanted here. That if you find yourself in, in, in that spot of feeling guilt and shame or maybe you find yourself in a place of a scary, unplanned pregnancy, listen, we want to be a resource and a help to you. 
that, that QR code in front of you, if you'll scan that, and if you're on any of this spectrum, that maybe you just want more information about what this decision actually means, that we have people in our membership that have actually read the decision, that, that understand legal language, if you have questions about what this decision actually means, or if you want to find ways to serve here in our community, or if you just need care, it's titled support form, fill it out, we'd love to connect with you and follow up with you and answer those questions and help you receive care or connection to serving. And so what I want to do is let's pray. Um, God, we come to you and God, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. That God, we celebrate um, a step of protecting lives. Um, God, we thank you that you value us, that we are made in your image, that we have inherent worth and value. And so God, we celebrate that and we thank you um, for the protection of the vulnerable. But God, we also recognize that there's so much more to be done. And so God, may we be a people who are quick to listen, that we would be compassionate, that we would seek to understand, and that we would seek and find ways to be used by you to care for the vulnerable, to care for the weak, to care for the needy, because we know that's what Jesus did, and we want to be like him. We want to follow after him. And so, God, may we be that place. May we be that people here at Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are continuing our series through the Psalms, all right, that we've been reading the Bible together. We're reading the book of Psalms this summer. And what I love about the book of Psalms is Tony Morita says about the Psalms that if the Bible speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. That when you read the Psalms, you're getting insight into David and other psalmists in the ways that they communicated to God and the ways that they felt and expressed their feelings, that the Psalms, they bring a, a level of relationship Ability. They give us language for how to pray to God, how to praise God, how to grieve, how to mourn, how to lament. And Psalm 42 was read, and I chose this psalm because it's personally impactful for me. Um, that I remember vividly when I first came across this psalm. It was my freshman year of college, and that year was not a particularly, particularly great year for me, especially the first semester. Um, I had in the middle of the semester, I'd gotten dumped by a girl that I dated for two and a half years. I went to that school to play basketball only to realize that I'm unathletic, slow, and can't jump, and six foot. Um, and I was really lonely. And I'm an introvert by nature, nature, and I was in the basement of that introversion, reclusive, avoiding of people, incredibly insecure. And at the same time, I wasn't actively pursuing God. I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't really even attending church. And I vividly remember when I came across this psalm because it had to have been November. And I remember this because at that time I was out of cafeteria meal money. So I was eating peanut butter sandwiches for all three meals, spreading it with my fingers because I didn't buy a knife or anything like that. Um, and I had beaten every PlayStation 3 game I owned. And I'd won the Super Bowl with every single team in Madden. And I was out of things to do sitting in my dorm, alone, no friends, nothing to do. And I saw this devotional on my shelf that I'd been given as a graduation gift that I hadn't touched once. And I thought, you know what, why not? And I opened it to that day's reading and of course it was Psalm 42. And I was stunned by two of the verses that were read. The first one, Psalm 42, one. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This stood out to me because in that moment, this, there was dissonance. 
that I saw what the psalmist was saying and that was not my experience. I did not long for God. I did not want God. I didn't thirst for God. I wasn't really interested in God. And in fact, I was a little bit frustrated and angry at God. And then the second verse that jumped off to me was Psalm 42, five. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? I did relate with this one but I knew why I was cast down and I was blaming God for being cast down. That the tone of my statement, the way I said verse five was frustration and anger that I did feel cast down. I did feel in turmoil. I did feel alone and there was not a longing and desire for God. I was cold, apathetic and blamed him for the spot I found myself in. And maybe you can relate. Maybe not to that extreme, but maybe you're in a season of trial, struggle, despair, and I've talked to several of you over the last few weeks where you're saying similar things as the psalmist is here, that you're dealing with your struggle with anxiety and depression. You're dealing with a struggling marriage that's in crisis. You're frustrated with your job. You're frustrated with your relationships. Or maybe circumstances are okay, but you're just in a season of spiritual dryness and you're tired and you're especially tired of being cast down. And so here's where I wanna take this. Now, don't take this as an absolute statement, but to my knowledge, okay, that Psalm 42 and 43 are the only two passages of Scripture that I know of that give us biblical insight in how we should talk to ourselves. Because notice who the psalmist is mostly addressing in this psalm, his soul. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And so it led me to ask this question, how do I, how have I been talking to myself lately? How have you been talking to yourself spiritually? What has been that inner dialogue within yourself? That Paul David Tripp says that nobody talks to you more than you. And if you're anything like me, your inner dialogue and commentary about your situation and your circumstance and where you find yourself spiritually can quickly turn negative. And what I love about this psalm is that it gives categories that are accurate and relatable to my own experiences and feelings. That there are three feelings that I see here and the initial feelings in and of themselves are not bad, are not sinful because the psalmist feels them and we know from the gospels, Jesus felt them himself. But what happens is, is our self-talk focuses solely on these feelings or the circumstances that are causing them like a hamster wheel. We just think on them and think on them and dwell on the feelings themselves or the circumstance that's causing them. That the first feeling I see that, a, and we don't really know, we don't use this word like cast down or, or dry soul very often, but I think a downcast and dry soul feels spiritually first frustrated. That this one, might, this feeling might be the most common for us, that we are spiritually frustrated. And you see this in his statements in verses 5 and 11, that he's asking himself in frustration, why are you cast down on my soul? He's frustrated by the taunts of his adversaries. Anybody else just frustrated, wanting to catch a break and even feeling spiritually frustrated? Let me give you an example of this for me, Okay. Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, he has this analogy to evaluate your, the current state of your prayer life. But I expanded out to just all of your spiritual life, how you evaluate your spiritual life. Imagine that your spiritual life is a sailboat with oars. Not sure if that's a thing, don't care, okay? But you have the, your spiritual life is a sailboat with oars. And there's four different categories of how you're doing spiritually. One, are you sailing spiritually? 
meaning you feel God's wind in your sails, that when you, you desire his word and when you read it, things are jumping off the page, that you're seeing tremendous victory over sin, that you're discipling others and you're sharing your faith and you feel deeply connected to him, that when you draw near to him, you feel him draw near to you, that you feel intimately connected, that you feel you are thriving and sailing spiritually. The second category is, are you rowing spiritually? Where you're doing all the right things, you're reading, you're praying, you're trying to share your faith, you're trying to be obedient to him, you do desire him, but it all feels like effort. You're reading, you're praying, you're trying to share your faith, but it's taking so much of your time, so much of your energy and effort. Maybe it's due to circumstances around you that you feel like you're going against the tide, fighting for your faith, that you're fighting sin and you're seeing more victory than you are falling into it, but the temptation is still really strong. You feel like you're rowing spiritually. Third one, are you drifting spiritually? And maybe you've been rowing for a while and you're just losing interest or you're just tired. You find yourself giving more and more into sin, that you find yourself reading your Bible more and more infrequently, losing interest. Or the last category, are you sinking spiritually? Not interested, complete apathy, or maybe even animosity towards God, not reading, don't desire to, not praying, don't desire to. Or your circumstances cause you to feel like you're sinking and you're not pursuing him in the midst of that. And here's why I share this, that one, to be a help to you. If this is helpful for you individually or if you came with someone, you should talk to them about where, which of these categories are you in. Are you sailing? Are you rowing? Are you drifting or are you sinking? But also, I share this to vulnerably share that I've been using this analogy for about three years and I feel like the entire time that I've been using in this analogy is I've been going back and forth between rowing and drifting. And I'm tired. And I'm frustrated by it. Like I'm frustrated and tired of rowing. And where this turns negative is in my self-talk, my frustration turns into either self-reliance. Keenan, you just need to row more. You just need to read more. You need to pray more. You need to do more. Like it's up to you to do this, to get yourself out of the spiritual rut you feel yourself in. So keep rowing. Or I just focus on the frustration itself and, and find myself spiritually kind of complaining about this effort that it's taking to fight for my faith. Or maybe that's not you, but you're in a situation that you're just frustrated by, but you're dwelling on the circumstance itself over and over. You find yourself frustrated by, why can't we catch a break financially? We just got ahead here and then this thing hits. Of course this thing hits. And you dwell on the state of your finances over and over and the frustration that it's causing you. Or you have that coworker that you can't stand and you're constantly dwelling on them and how you hate your job and hate going to that place. You're, they're all you think about as you go to work. They're all you think about as you leave work. And you're just dwelling on that thing that's causing that frustration over and over. And the problem with this self-talk is that the more that you do it, the more you dwell on your spiritual frustration or the circumstance that's causing it, the more likely you are to experience despair. Because likely it's going to result in your self-reliance to try to get yourself out of it. But what happens if you don't? Like what happens is if in your effort to fix your spiritual dryness, in your effort to fix your situation, you don't get out of it? Despair. Where else do I turn if I can't rely on myself? Next, spiritual dry or downcast soul feels forgotten. You see the psalmist say this explicitly in verse nine. He says, 
I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Anybody else feel spiritually forgotten? That you're struggling with brokenness in a difficult season, spiritual dryness, and you find yourself wondering, God, do you even see me? Like, do you see my struggling marriage? Do you not see my terrible work situation? Do you not see this rebellious daughter that I love, that I want to come back? Do you not see my rowing? Do you not see my striving? Do you not see my effort to connect with you intimately? Do you not see my struggle with anxiety and depression? Do you not care? And what happens is, is when you feel spiritually forgotten, and, you, and that's a normal feeling spiritually. Again, the psalmist here feels that. But we take this feeling and we dwell on it in so long and in such a way that it turns into self-loathing. That you see your brokenness and you see the situation that it's in and you're dwelling on this feeling of feeling forgotten that it becomes, it's my fault, I'll never be enough. Of course God has forgotten me. Why would he remember me? This is my fault. Like I'm not valued. What do I have to offer? I can't get my act together. My situation is all my fault. The problem with this self-talk is, is the more you do it, the more you begin to believe it. And as a result, you become personally and spiritually insecure and experience deep loneliness. This is where I was in my college example, where what I felt is, of course, I'm forgotten by God. And so what that does is that isolates me from God. But as a result, if I feel isolated by God, surely I'm going to isolate from the people around me. That if God has forgotten me, then the people around me are going to forget me. And so you end up feeling this deep insecurity and deep loneliness if you focus solely on feeling spiritually forgotten or the thing that's causing that. Last the spiritually dry or uh, the spiritually downcast soul feels forsaken. Verse seven, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He gets this point of desperation where he feels like he's drowning due to his circumstance, but notice who he attributes the waves to. God, all your breakers, all your waves have gone over me. He feels not just forgotten or forsaken, he f- or f- just for frustrated or forgotten. He feels forsaken, not only alone, but cast out. Where this turns negative is that our self-talk about our situation or our spiritual dryness becomes self-defeating in the, th- in the sense that it will always be this way and God has done this to me. God, you uh, apparently, not only do you forget me, my struggle with anxiety and depression, you have caused me. You have done this to me. You have put me here. My struggling marriage, why have you done this to me? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you forsaken me? That the longer you talk to yourself in this way, you will either become bitter towards God and blame him or apathetic and disinterested towards him. So which one of these are you at? Frustrated, feeling forgotten, feeling forsaken. Again, all of these feelings are normal, but are you dwelling on them in such a way that it's a hamster wheel, that it's taking up all of the space in your mind, that it's living rent-free, that it's consuming? And listen, this is not sustainable for how we should be engaging with ourselves or with God, that if we're thinking about this in a way or your circumstance in a way that's causing you bitterness, disinterested, apathetic, feeling alone in isolation and insecure, then it's not God's design for you. So how should our spiritual self-talk look and sound like? Well, thankfully, the psalmist models it for us here. The first thing, self-talk for the downcast and dry soul is to long for God. 
I want to read it again because it's significant. Verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And going back to my example from college, a lot of the reason for my struggle was, yes, circumstances outside of my control. Yes, due to my own idolatry and my own sin. But at a core, I was spiritually dry because I didn't want God. I didn't have a desire for intimacy or relational connection with him. I was as spiritually connected to God as I wanted to be. I was as spiritually connected to God as I wanted to be. So listen to me, your situation might be incredibly difficult and your suffering might be more than you can bear. But in the midst of that, do you long for God or your situation to just be fixed? Because I want you to look at the way this longing is described. I've never seen a deer pant for water, okay? Never seen that, okay? But we can kind of imagine it. And I don't think we long for God in this way. For example, we've all been to someone's house before where you walk in and the host says something like, hey, can I get you something to drink? And you're not thirsty in that moment, but you think, sure, I could go for a water, Topo Chico, if you got it. It's not a need, but it would be nice, I think that's how the overwhelming majority of us in here approach God. I don't thirst for you, but it'd be nice. Sure, I'll take some of that. It's not a need. But some of you, that'd be nice. There's no desperation in us. There's no need in us. Going back to that categories of, you know, sailing, rowing, drifting, sinking. I bet if I had asked you to equate your spiritual state right now to sailing or rowing before giving you any of the categories, I bet you would have said something along the lines of, Floating. There's no, category, there's no spiritual category for floating. Here in West Texas, we just kind of spiritually float. And if you're spiritually floating, you're surely drifting. Because our faith should feel like a fight. Our faith is a fight within ourselves and circumstances around us that there needs to be the statement of need. In your spiritual self-talk, are you reminding yourself and telling yourself that you need God more than you need anything else? Notice, this is important. Notice the psalmist in this entire psalm, he doesn't pray for a change of his circumstance. Now, we should pray for a change in our circumstance. We should pray and ask God to deliver us. But where he starts is, God, I want you. I long for you more than even a change in my circumstance. I want to feel your nearness in the midst of my circumstance. I want, to, I want you more than I want to fix to my life or my situation. Do we long for God in that way? Do we thirst for God in that way? Or do we just want things from him? So tell your soul to long for God, to desire God. And if you don't have that yet, Dusty has framed it this before, desire a desire. Do you at least have that? A desire for a desire for God. Start there, fan that. Keep telling your soul to desire God and long for God. Remind yourself of it and prioritize it. God, I wanna thirst for you. I wanna long for you. Soul, long for God. Second one, Be honest with yourself and with God. I've already briefly covered this, that you see his honesty. He says, my tears have been food day and night. He says, why why are you cast down? I'm in turmoil within me. He says, why have you forgotten me? As with deadly wounds in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. A lot of times... I think we're, we stay in spiritual dryness because not, it's not that we don't feel these feelings, it's that we're unwilling to admit to ourselves and to God himself that we're struggling spiritually. We fake it. 
We pretend. We go through the motions to try to either distract ourselves or to trick others into believing we're okay. And if you've read any of the Psalms this summer, you notice two things pretty quickly. One, they seem to be, the psalmists seem to be very in tune with their feelings. And two, they're very honest about them to themselves and to God. That you see that. He even at one point calls out God and says, God, people are mocking you because of my circumstance I'm in. Are you going to continue to allow that to happen? He talks to God in that way. And Brandon Gilbert mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but if Psalm 139 says that God knows all of our thoughts, then why do we in our prayers polish, filter, and scrub our prayers to not be honest with God when he already knows what we're thinking and feeling? And I think part of it is because we're not aware of how we're feeling. We don't allow ourselves to experience that. Or we've been taught, like I was, that it's not okay to struggle spiritually. I think that's why I was so stunned by Psalm 42 in my freshman year of college, is it was the first time in my life that it had been shown to me that it is okay to struggle spiritually. It is okay to feel frustrated, to feel forgotten, to feel forsaken. It is okay to have doubts, but you need to admit them. You need to feel those feelings and admit them. Listen, as an aside, let me talk to guys for a second. Um, I listened to a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and there's a counselor, his name's David Thomas, and he talks about that, how we as men, not all men, but most men, we would say, we just don't feel as many feelings as our spouse does or as girls do. We just, we're kind of emotionally deficient. And he says, the data didn't prove that. The data didn't support that. We're, men, we're not emotionally deficient, we're emotionally suppressed, What we do is when we feel feelings, we suppress them. We've been taught to be strong, whatever that word means, to suppress these feelings, don't feel these feelings. And here's what happens. Those feelings are gonna come out one way or another. So what we do as men, most of us, we suppress them in such a way that it will either come out in in, in an emotion that we feel good about, namely anger, likely. That Okay, I'm gonna suppress these things that I'm feeling in such a way that I'll let them come out in anger because for whatever reason, that's acceptable to me, or I'm going to suppress them long enough to where they come out in a way that's a coping mechanism like substances or substance abuse or pornography or escapism, that I'm going to suppress and I'm going to suppress and I'm going to suppress because that's what strength is. That's not what the Bible shows us, that we are meant to be aware of our feelings, that if we're created by God, men, if we're created by God, that means the feelings you have were given to you by God. That I was thinking about this. I'd imagine if, guys, if I was in grow group with you and I said, hey man, it's been a hard week. I've been crying a lot and my, so much my tears have been food. You would have, t- you'd take a step back. You'd be like, all right, I don't know how to deal here. Man, I'm sorry, it's been a hard week. Good news is those tears don't have trans fat. I mean, you're good. Um, like we don't know how to engage on that type of level because we don't engage with ourselves on that level. And we don't allow ourselves to admit we're struggling or be aware of how we're feeling. That these feelings are not God. They're meant to point us to God. That they're little dashboard indicators, fear, sadness, joy, all these feelings that we have have been planted in us by God so that we could experience him in a unique and different way so we could draw near to him. Your feelings of spiritual frustration, forgotten and forsaken, were not meant to be suppressed. They're not meant to be God either. Admit them to yourself and give them over to God in this way, the third way. Remind yourself of who God is and what he has done. 
So you feel these feelings and you don't just meditate on the feelings or the circumstances causing them. You remind yourself of who God is in the midst of those feelings and what he has done in the midst of your circumstance. Look at what he does in verse, uh, all the way through this. That in verse two, he calls God the living God. That he's reminding himself that God, that, that soul, God is the living God, meaning he's present, he's active, he's with you, he's not distant, he's not dead, he's living, even in the midst of what might feel like death to you right now, he is the living God. Remind yourself of that. In verse five, he calls God my salvation and my God. Notice it doesn't say the God, it doesn't say a God, it says my God. That there's this personal interaction, this intimate statement of God, you are my God. Soul, he is your God. You have access to him, you have a relationship. He is personal. In verse nine, he calls God the rock stable, never shaking, never changing, safe. Even if your world feels like it's crumbling, he is your rock. Go to that rock. That in verse four, you see that he remembers a time where he was worshiping God joyfully and gladly, that he thinks back to that. And as I was reading that verse in verse four, I found myself thinking, maybe y'all don't do this. I'll give you all a couple analogies. Maybe you can relate with it. But I'm weird when I'm driving to my car and let's say it's 105 degrees outside. I find myself thinking, I wish it was, I'd prefer it be freezing cold outside. I'd prefer it be 15 degrees, but I can't seem to th- remember what that feeling of freezing was like because I'm in an oven right now. But then what happens naturally is in the winter time when it's 15 degrees outside, I find myself thinking, I wish it was 105 degrees. I'd much prefer that. I can't seem to get my mind to get to that place of knowing what it was like to be baking hot and warm again. Or if you can't relate to that one, a couple months ago, I had a stomach bug and I remember laying in bed thinking, I will never have an appetite again. Like, what is that feeling of hunger? Like, I can't get my mind around what it means to be hungry, what it feels like to be hungry. And this is what happens in our spiritual trial or spiritual dryness is we dwell on the circumstance in and of itself that we can't even imagine what a season of sailing was like. We can't even imagine what a, spirit, what a season of thriving was because of the situation we find ourselves in. And so what the psalmist is reminding himself is there was a day where you were worshiping gladly and praising him and that will happen again. There is a day right now presently that he is with you even if you don't feel him right now. Don't put your hope in this world. The spiritual self-talk right here looks like soul, you feel forgotten, but you know you're not. You know that God sees you. You know that God knows you. You know that he's faithful and good, even if it feels like he's not. So you feel forsaken and alone, but you know you're not. You know that God says he'll never leave you, never forsake you. Don't just focus solely on your feelings or your trial or your circumstance. Focus your heart and mind and soul on what is true, that God is faithful in the midst of that trial and circumstance. Namely, remind yourself daily that he has saved you. Remember the fact that Jesus experienced all these emotions of frustration, feeling forgotten, feeling forsaken, feeling anxious so much so that he sweat drops of blood and he did all of these things so that God could be near to you and you could be near to God. Jesus died the death that you deserve so that when you feel forgotten, you can know that you're not. 
Jesus died the death that you deserve. So when you feel forsaken, you know that you're not because he was forsaken on your behalf. He died the death that you deserve and rose from the grave so that you could remember that he did that for you, even in the midst of this circumstance, so that you could build your life upon the rock when these storms come. And last, tell your soul to hope in and wait for God. He says it twice, which means it's significant, and he's having to remind himself of it. We don't remember things when we say it to ourselves once. He says it in the middle, and he says it at the end. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. Notice what he's doing here. He's not self-defeating and telling himself, this is how my situation is going to be. I just need to deal with it. He's saying, I'm trusting you, God, that this experience is an experience for me to get to see you show up, to deepen my hope and dependence upon you. He's declaring to his heart that to hope in God because he believes there will be a day where he praises him again. And I love, what, here's what I love about this psalm, is that it ends unresolved. We don't know the circumstance he finds himself in, but he's still in a similar place as he was when he started. Because it doesn't, he doesn't start with, God, I'm suffering, I'm struggling, and now everything's great. It doesn't end that way. Because he says, I will praise you again one day. What he's telling himself and what he's telling God, but what he's telling himself is he's convinced that this trial and dryness is temporary. Said similarly in Psalm 27, it ends in a similar way. Verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Listen, tell your soul and tell yourself that the suffering you're in will not have the final word. That your anxiety and depression will not have the final word. Your struggling marriage will not have the final word. Your spiritual dryness does not and will not have the final word. Tell your soul to hope in God and that you will praise him again one day. The spiritual self-talk says, I know and I believe this truth, though it's not my experience right now. I believe, soul, that I will get to experience the goodness of God again. I just need to wait. I just need to trust. I just need to be courageous and wait. God, I long for you. God, I need you. God, I want you. And I'm struggling to barely hang on. I know you're good. I know you're faithful. I know you're my rock and my refuge. And I know that this pain, struggle, and dryness is temporary, either in this life or because of the next one, help me to wait upon you and help my soul to hope in you. Tell yourself that. Sometimes your head needs to dictate to your heart what to hope in and what to look towards. Don't just dwell on your circumstance and situation, but tell your soul to hope in and wait for God. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we need your help. I pray that first you would, if we don't have that desire for you, that we don't long for you, God, would you create that in us? God, give us a desire for you, a longing for you, a desperation, a feeling sense of our need for you. And God, whether we feel frustrated, forgotten, forsaken, God, would those feelings draw us deeper and deeper intimacy with you and deeper connection to you. 
Help us to talk to ourselves in a way that is helpful, that points us back to you and not makes, that doesn't make our emotions or our situation God, but reminds you that you are God and that you are with us, that you see us, that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.